Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you could join us again this week as we are looking at lesson number eight now. This is planning for success. What does the Bible say about success? What does it look like and how does that intersect with your financial life? We're about to find that out. With us again this week is the author of the Sabbath School lesson, Ed Reed. He is an ordained minister and he is also a licensed attorney. We're delighted to have him back. And of course, we're delighted to have you once again. Before we dive into today's lesson, let's pray. Father, thank you for blessing us so far in our study, and we anticipate that you will bless us again today. As we look at what a biblical definition for success is, help us to yearn for that success, not for our glory, but for yours. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, welcome back. We're glad to have you again. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So we're taking a look here at lesson number eight, planning for success. I'll read the memory text, and I'm going to ask you a question. The memory text is found in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, and it says, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So we're talking about success. What does success look like for a Christian, and is it different than success might look in the world? Well, it's interesting that from a purely worldly perspective, we think that people that are wealthy are successful, or people that are famous, sports stars, movie stars, that kind of thing. But if you look at it from God's perspective, it's quite different. In fact, the uh, angel Gabriel who came to uh, Zechariah when he was in the temple telling him that he'd be the father of John the Baptist, he said he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So greatness in God's eyes, and what we would really strive for. It's pretty interesting because there are several cases of success in the Bible. One of them is very interesting to me, and that is, would, would we say Joseph was successful? He went from the prison to the palace in his lifetime, and, and he was honored to have his family come down and so on. That would be a successful life, it's likely. But what would we say about John the Baptist? This is interesting. We've been reading in John for our worship this week at home, and I can just tell you that John the Baptist was an interesting character. A lot of people don't realize this, but when you look at the chronology of his life, his public ministry was only three months long, and he spent three months in solitary confinement in prison, then he lost his head. But the interesting part about Jesus is that there's no man ever born of a woman greater than this John the Baptist guy. So from God's perspective, he also was successful. So two very different views of success, one of which most of the world would probably say, yeah, Joseph was successful. But John the Baptist, a lot of people would say, seems like kind of a misspent life. But Jesus would disagree with that very much. Yes. So, all right, that's what success looks like from a biblical perspective. It can have different different views or different, it can look differently. But what about... uh, What about how do we begin our quest for success? Where do we start? If we want to end up successful, where does success begin? What's the, where does it germinate? What does it look like when it's just beginning? Well, one of your long-range goals should be, or your primary long-range goal should be getting to heaven. So I tell people, for example, I talk to young people about it. You may never write a book, you may never fly an airplane. You may never climb a high mountain. You may never, never climb the, you know, hike the Appalachian Trail from one end to the other. Uh, you may never uh, do a lo- go on vacation to some exotic place. But if you make it to heaven, your life is a success, and there's no question about that, in my opinion. 
On the other hand, you might be famous from the world standards. You may be a renowned author. You may be a pilot your own plane, go to exotic places on vacation and so on. But if you miss heaven, your life is a failure. There's no question about that from God's perspective and from my perspective as a student of God's Word. So that's going to look significantly different for, for different people, depending on their, their, uh, their view of life, their worldview, I guess. Yes. But ultimately, if you miss out on eternity, it doesn't matter what else you've accomplished, how much you have in your bank account, how big your house is, how nice your car is, what job you have, or how influential you are in the world. If you miss heaven, it's kind of been a, a misspent life. That's true. In fact, I put a couple of references in the, from the Bible here. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, as we understand. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord, or trusting in God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So basic to success is commitment to God. That's for sure. Another one, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1, remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. In other words, don't wait till your old guy to make your commitment to God, because if you want God to bless your family, you want to do it early on, and that's an important thing as well. So what about as a person uh, matures from youth to adulthood? Uh, one would expect that their, their views on things, their, certainly their income is going to change. What, what things should stay the same? What part of their perspective should stay the same? And where would things change as one matures in age and, and so forth? Well, that's a good question because I can just tell you this one. Uh, I mentioned before and will later in the quarter talk about Jacob when he had to flee from his brother's wrath. The interesting part about it, he's a young man, maybe 40 years old, but he hadn't married yet, and he was running away from his brother to save his life. When he had the encounter with Jesus in, in the place he later called Bethel, the house of God, where the ladder was on the earth and reached to heaven, the staircase and so on, God stood above him and talked to him and so on. As a young man, he said, if you'll be with me like you promised you have been, in other words, since you've said that, you're going to be my God, and of all you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So as a young man, he first made his commitment to God, and he made his commitment to be financially faithful as well. And I think that's very, very valuable for young people to know. I can tell you another thing is, the Bible talks to us about do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So... Unless you want a home where the shadows are never with, lifted, don't marry an unbeliever. This is important to understand. And I can also tell you that it's interesting. This principle is so important that your future spouse has the, has the, the uh, opportunity and should know for sure what they're marrying. Are they marrying a committed Christian? Are they marrying somebody who's faithful with God? Another thing is I tell people, young people, when they're talking about getting married, they should find out from the other person if they have any student loans. I mean, this is a big deal. Some people have thousands and thousands of dollars of loans or what they own on their cars and other things. It's not that you wouldn't marry the person, but you go in with your eyes open. This is pretty interesting stuff for the young people. So after Jacob made his financial commitment to God, the Lord directed him to his spouse, to Rachel. Now, this is an incredible story. The story of Rachel, to me, is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. It was an amazing story because he fell in love with her, and he told her father, Laban, he said, what can I pay you for working for me? And he says, I'll work for you for seven years for your daughter, Rachel. This is an incredible thing. And we remember that Laban tricked him in giving Leah first, but Rachel was always his favorite wife and his love person, if you please. And when she died, they were almost back home, and she died along the way in giving childbirth to Benjamin, as you may recall. 
But the amazing thing to me is way over in the last part of Genesis, chapters 49 and 50, Jacob called his uh, son Joseph to his bedside to talk to him. And he said, he's looking back on his life and the only thing he remembered, I buried Rachel, by the way, we were almost there, but that's the only thing he remembered was Rachel. Incredible as it may seem. So it sounds like he made a wise choice in who to marry, and, and she was an encouragement to him along the way. Sure. We're talking about success, uh, success in finances, success in marriage, success in life. What about work? What role does work play in, on our pathway to success? Well, it's very interesting that the Bible is very clear from the creation of Adam and Eve, including the work they were given to do to keep the garden. And also the Bible is very clear that Sodom and Gomorrah were in the condition they were in because people that were idleness on their hands. And they were, had lots of money as well. But idle mind is the devil's workshop, as we know. So work is very, very important. And I can just tell you that as youth matures into adulthood, our thoughts should turn about how we can be successful in our life on this earth and prepare ourselves and our children for the kingdom of heaven. I saw also, I would just tell you that work can be a blessing. It was given to man to be a blessing. And it is a blessing when we conduct it in the fear of the Lord. And as our memory verse talked about, work is unto the Lord. So work was never designed to be a punishment for us, but a place where we can be productive, an avenue for us not to be idle and to get caught up in other things. There are some people today who look for opportunities not to work. I guess you could fall into either side of the ditch. You could either fall into the side where you don't want to work at all and just want to have everything given to you, or you can be a workaholic. Where would the the balance be in that? That's also a good question. In the years that I've been speaking at camp meetings and so on, I've had lots of people come to for counseling, and I've had more than one time I ask a man, what kind of work are you involved in? And he would say, well, I'm not working steady right now. I'm kind of between jobs. And the idea is, how can you expect God to bless you if you're not working? I think that there's only a few jobs that you couldn't do, you know, bartending or go-go dancing or something like that. But in general, work is valuable and work is is good for you. Both of our children learned to work when they were in high school. And uh, it's interesting that they thanked us in in later years that we encouraged them to work because they feel responsible for what they've done in their lives. They've been able to help themselves through school and that kind of thing as well. So you, you develop a work ethic, you develop a habit, it, it helps you to, be, to learn to be reliable to other people, accountability, uh, and, and ultimately it also helps you to learn the value of a dollar, all of which I think are very, very good things, especially if as you progress in life you end up owning a business or having other people work for you. Uh, it's nice to be able to have an understanding of what it's like to be on the other side of things. So all kinds of blessings when it comes to work. We're going to continue taking a look at this, the planning for success. And I think everybody wants to be successful in different areas of their lives. And we're looking at several ways in which that can happen right now. But one thing that I want to encourage you to do, if you haven't done so already, we're a little over halfway through this quarter. And if you haven't picked this book up, you are missing out on some wonderful supplemental additional material that can help you to be more successful. The book, of course, is called Managing for the Master. The author, as you well know, is G. Edward Reed. He is uh, He's with us today and has been through this quarter and will through the remainder. And in this book, you will find some additional insights on how you can be successful in managing the gifts that God has given you 
for his honor and for his glory. If you want to pick up this supplemental book, uh, the complement to the Bible study guide, you can do that very, very easily. Simply go to itiswritten.shop. Again, that is itiswritten.shop and look for Managing for the Master. And uh, in the event that we're temporarily sold out, we will get restocked again very, very shortly. But this book will be a blessing to you. And if you want to give a book to someone who you want to encourage financially in the right direction, this book makes a wonderful, wonderful gift. So Managing for the Master by G. Edward Reed, and that's available at itiswritten.shop. In just a moment, we're going to come back and we're going to continue our look at how to be successful from a biblical perspective. We're going through some practical tips, practical tricks, if we can use that, that you can apply to your life and encourage others to do the same. We will be right back. He was chosen by God to father a great nation. But instead of trusting God to fulfill his promise, he chose to run ahead of God's plan using lies and deception to secure the blessing that God had already said would be His. Join me for another episode of our series, Great Characters of the Bible, as we examine the story of Jacob. Before becoming the progenitor of the nation of Israel, Jacob conspired with his mother to deceive his brother and his father. And in doing so, he set himself on a path filled with hardship and pain. Yet even at his lowest, Jacob refused to let go of God, and God never let go of Jacob. Learn how Jacob's experience is relevant to your life, and how the same God who blessed Jacob wants to bless you today. Great characters of the Bible, Jacob. Watch now on It Is Written TV. This season on Conversations... Many times I think I know what God wants or doesn't want me to do, and many times it's the opposite. I was uh, looking uh, next to the car. There's this family with a little ugly car. You know, I would never have, but I saw the family. They're so happy. They're laughing and giggling. I said, Lord, this is, that's what I, I want. Jesus just had this warm, loving feeling that I just couldn't describe and I wanted it more than anything in this world and I knew he was the answer. I don't know how I knew. I just knew he was the answer. Amen, amen. She is Gail Habakam. His name is Dr. George Guthrie. She once was a practitioner of Santeria. I'm John Bradshaw and this is our conversation. Now available on itiswritten.tv Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're looking at how to be successful financially and ultimately in life during this week's lesson. Tuesday's lesson is called The Earning Years. The Earning Years. Uh, Ed, how important is our work in the stability of our families? Well, it's interesting, and this earning years thing is the second phase of our lives. We have three phases, actually. Our learning years, our earning years, and our returning years because we can't take it with you. So we'll, we've talked about, and we'll talk about in more detail in the future, uh, giving back to God, how that fits in and so on. But a lot of people want to skip that learning years part. I don't like school or whatever. The bottom line is God can use anybody who's willing, but those who have had advanced training can be much benefited from it. 
It's really incredible when you think about it. In general, the the uh, getting a college degree will m- make sure that you'll get probably twice as much in your lifetime earning as you would if you just only went to high school. So make sure you get counsel as far as what to study. Make sure there's a job available for you at the end of the time. You don't want to just take oriental basket weaving and nobody has a job for you. You want to get something that in the medical field or in the uh, construction industry or computers, whatever it is, you find out what's the best thing for you. But what we're talking about this time is the earning years, and that is what you do for the primary work years of your life, and that that is the longest section. That's the time when you're paying for your house and your cars and educating your children. And believe it or not, this is a stressful time for many families because if if they haven't gotten the proper education and getting a good income and so on, it's very stressful because what do you mean we don't have any money? People argue about those kind of things and people would like to buy something. And then people go out and buy things on credit and run themselves in debt and so on. It's it's amazing really what happens when, when they're not uh, willing to live with what they have as far as their income. But what I want to share with you now is that during the earning years, which is about 40 years of your life, you need to be thinking about your needs, the needs of your children, and the needs of those who depend on you in some ways, helping with God's church, helping with others who are poor people, poorer than you, for example, setting an example for our families in this area as well. 1 Timothy 5.8 is an interesting one. It says, But if anyone provide not for his own, especially those of his own family, denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. It's also true that Paul's writing says, He that does not work should not eat. This is Most people like to eat, don't they? So this is important that that happens. In all labor there is profit. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We, we've already looked at that. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. And I like this also in the King James Version where it says, Knowing that the Lord shall you shall receive your inheritance. When we talk about Lesson 12, we're talking about the rewards of the faithful financial people. And it's going to be an incredible thing that you'll enjoy seeing and, and reading about and hearing. So children who brought their during, come into the world during this segment are called a heritage of the Lord. And we remember that when we bring these children in, we owe them a responsibility. Because it, we want to train them to become independent adults, of course, not depend on us for the rest of their lives. So the ideal is I'm going to share with you three things that I think parents can do as far as their children are concerned. The first one is provide a Christian home environment. And that means this would include having regular and interesting family worships, regular Sabbath school attendance and church attendance. Not, I don't feel like going today. You see, it's regular. This is training children. And faithfulness in tithes and offerings. These are great habits to form in early life. So provide a Christian home environment. Second one, is to teach them a willingness to work and appreciation for it. We started paying our kids when they were 10 years old. And we, we had jobs for our children. Our son kept up the yard, and it was a big yard, and, and, and other things around the house. And we paid them a, a, a weekly paycheck for that. And Melissa helped in the, doing the laundry. If you can imagine, she got so good at it that when she came home from school, sometimes she would say, Daddy, is there any laundry I can do? Uh, th- to me, this is amazing. She helped with the cooking, making granola, and all those kind of things. So when it came time that they could work outside the home and get what we say real money, they were happy to do it. So teaching them to work and have good work habits. Someone teased my son who worked for Taco Bell for a while, and he said, isn't that the place that if you show up on work three times in a row on time, they want to make you a manager? The point is, being punctual and diligent and faithful and dependable, you learn those things by working. And those are good skills to learn, of course, as well. Uh, I want to tell you that 
the, the, the next one, the final one, is help with a good education. Education is really expensive today, particularly private school Christian education. But to parents who want their children not to be successful only in this life, but to uh, be ready for heaven as well, I would say that Christian education is extremely valuable for this reason. If I had not been in one of our colleges, I would have never met my wife. And it's that during those years of your life when you meet your life companion and your lifetime friends and so on. So maybe it's cheaper in the local junior college, but you're, not, you're going to miss out on this awesome experience. So it's an investment in eternity when you go for Christian education. I know there are bad apples even in good schools, but the bottom line is you're more likely to find a good companion there than you would be just in the schools of the world. And then you, you understand, very important. Now I'm going to make one little caveat here. When we talked about debt, we talked about co-signing and not becoming responsible for other people's debts. The only exception that I can think about to that would be helping your children get through school. And if you don't have the ability, they need to work as best they can. You need to work as best you can, but they need to borrow a little bit. That may be one time when parents could help. And the reason I say that is because that will help them become independent adults. But there's several caveats for that, too. They need to be, if they borrow any money, they need to pay it back as quickly as possible. In addition to that, they need to make sure that the education they're getting will be something that they'll have a job waiting for them when they get done. I mean, I knew a lady that was 70 years old, and she's still paying on student loans because she decided to go back to school and, and take something that nobody needed. To, there were no jobs available for her. But she's going to have to pay that, you know, even out of her retirement income, what she was doing. So I would, would suggest three things again. Christian home environment, teach them to work, and give them a good education. Those are the things that I think we owe our children. I think three very practical uh, ideas or, or pieces of advice that, uh, that we can follow there. Thank you for those, Ed. Wednesday's lesson is called Working with Integrity working with integrity. My guess is that a Christian should be expected to have integrity. What's the work ethic like of a Christian? This is amazing because the real answer is they're faithful to their duties even if no one is watching. And this is incredible because I'm going to tell you two stories about that. One of it is the experience of uh, Jacob when he desired to leave his father-in-law. Remember after 14 years of working, then he stayed six more years. But when when he wanted to go home, he said... Laban told him, don't go. I've learned by experience that when you're with me, God blesses me. Isn't that interesting? He blesses you, so he blesses me. And the same thing happened when Joseph was down in Egypt, sold into slavery to his master Potiphar. He made a similar observation to Joseph's work and recorded him accordingly. I've learned that God has blessed me with you here. Here's more responsibility. You have everything that I have. You just manage it for me. Isn't that incredible? Because God blesses me because of your work ethic. Those are two two very encouraging uh, ver- or, or stories. Uh, Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that, of course, is, is not limited to what we eat and drink. But he says, and, and all that you do, work ethic is in there as well, isn't it, Ed? Yes, it is. So let's take a look at Thursday now. Seeking godly counsel. If a If a Christian manager, God has given us the opportunity to manage things, if a Christian manager is looking for good counsel, where ought they to go and where might they avoid? Well, it's interesting that uh, you asked that question because years ago I took a course from Larry Burkett called Business by the Book. And the bottom line is most people just work hard enough to keep from getting fired. And most employers just pay their people enough and keep them from quitting. 
So they're just, you know, barely getting by on both sides. Really interesting. Should, should it come into our mind at all that the needs of the people that we hire, or the needs of the people that we don't hire? Uh, I remember hearing a story one time of a man that, that wasn't doing what his boss wanted him to do. So he called him in and said, what do you believe your job to be? And he told him what it was, and he was doing real good at that. And he said, well, that's not why I hired you. In other words, he, he, was th- he thought he was doing what he was supposed to do, but he wasn't doing it. So you need to make sure that everybody understands the rules and what, what their job description is and those kinds of things as well. But good sources of Christian counsel, uh, I can give you a few of them uh, that I've jotted down here. One is I can recommend that you uh, get organized, develop a spending plan or have a budget. Many families just exist from paycheck to paycheck. You know, that, they, they don't know where it goes, where, how much comes in or anything like that as well. We tell people to spend less than you earn. We've always talked about determining to live within your, your income. Save a portion from every pay period. Even if it's only a little bit, save something from every pay period. That's pretty good to know. Avoid debt like COVID-19. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says that interest is one expense you can live without. In other words, the, the borrower is the slave of the lender, and th- th- that's always true, whether we believe it or not or whether we see it happening. Be a diligent worker. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the r- diligent is, can be made rich. Be financially faithful with God. You can't expect God to bless your family unless you're faithful with Him. Because remember, all of the promises of God are like bilateral contracts. He's always doing His part. We, no one's ever been able to accuse God of not holding up His end of the bargain. But if we want to be faithful, we need to make sure that we're holding up our end of the bargain. That's where the blessing comes. Now, one thing that's really incredible, understand and believe that this earth is not our final home. We're just pilgrims and strangers here. Our real home is in heaven. We want to be faithful with God and, the, and His Word so that we can have a home in heaven. Not that we're working legalistically, but God says that if you're willing and obedient, you will eat to go to the land. From Isaiah, the first chapter. It's interesting to me to see that Many people think of this earth as their home. They're saving up stuff here. Someday we'll have to leave it all. Some of our stuff will get burned up here. We don't, we don't want to have much on our hands to get burned up, do we? That's right. In the end, we want to make sure that we have taken what God has entrusted to us and used it in the most effective manner. Uh, we can't take it with you, as, as we've said before. Ed, I want to end on this, uh, on this quote from the book Education on page 14. It says, No scheme of business or plan of life can be sound or complete that embraces only the brief years of this present life and makes no provision for the unending future. No man can lay up treasure in heaven without finding his life on earth thereby enriched and ennobled. So if we, if we take our gaze and lift it heavenward rather than earthward, or another way of saying it, take a vertical look at life rather than a horizontal look at life, we will find that in the end we end up in a much, much better place. This week we've taken a look at what success looks like from a biblical, a heavenly perspective And it looks a little different than it does sometimes from an earthly perspective. If we set our sights on heaven, on what God wants for us in life and wants for others in life, we can find success. God doesn't want us to be poor in this world. He wants us to be cared for and he wants us to have enough that we can give to others as well. And this week we've looked at how we can indeed be successful. Thanks for joining us again this week. We look forward to having you join us again next week when we come back together again for more Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written.